Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Roco Radio. <laughs> if you are looking for women of color organizing podcast, you are in the right place. This is Soraya. And this is becoming something of a catchphrase around here, but um, it's been a while. I affirm that this finds you well. Crystal and I have been carrying on as best we can. We recorded a few episodes a while back, but due to low capacity, didn't post them in a timely manner. So we'll probably release them later for archival sake, but the conversations we were having aren't as prevalent right now. Since we've been dormant on Anchor, though, y'all have still racked up another 150 streams. Thank you so much for continuing to support the WokoPod, even in moments when we've been quiet. Today, I'm offering y'all a new type of Woco episode we've nicknamed Woco Radio. Woco Radio segments will be recorded live over on Instagram and as such will be a bit less filtered than our typical episodes. We're excited to bring lighter topics into these segments with a quicker turnaround. We're working on building a more engaging platform that can include more voices and hopefully this shift will allow that. In the future, we, you can still expect more traditional podcast episodes with our original segments, but for now, we're going to give this a try. Please tell us what you think. We're so excited to be back to share with y'all. Please enjoy our first live stream about an introduction to Black queer feminism. See you soon. Bye for now. Soraya, I use she and they pronouns. I am a youth organizer in Michigan, recently graduated, a student, it's been a year now, a little over a year, and yeah, so far that's me. Crystal, want to do an intro? Yeah, so I'm Crystal, I am a undergraduate student. My pronouns are sheep, and I'm excited to be here. Yay! Cool. Welcome to the Local Pod live stream. How are you, Crystal? I'm pretty good. Um, I feel tech challenged a lot of the time. But how are you? I am good. I have been. Okay, yay. Sorry. I was like, um, gotta be careful with the buttons out here. Um, I've been doing pretty good. It was like sunny out this week, which was really nice. Um, and yeah, no week ever feels not busy. Um, right. So, the, so I'm really, really grateful it's a Saturday and I'm gonna be here, you know, eating tater tots, which is like also a plus. Um, so yeah, I'm good. I'm feeling pretty good. That's good. Yeah, I get that. I feel like I've been waking up, working, eating, working, and sleeping. I mean, it's ridiculous. With the move to virtual, it's hard to create space for not working, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Um, do we want to get into, like, the what are we part of our meet the host podcast sure live stream do you want to start us off um i'd rather have you start us off okay so
So the purpose of today's live stream is to one, get us experimenting with like using our other platforms to connect to our community. Um, we're gonna ex we're gonna experiment with like downloading this live and making it into a podcast episode. And so we figured it would be a good opportunity for us to like introduce the space, introduce ourselves to y'all. And yeah, so today we're gonna be going over. Um, concepts like what is black queer feminist organizing because we open up our pod with that a lot but haven't really unpacked what it means or like why we wanted to have a podcast that um, archives black queer femme perspectives in the first place um, we've also used the term movement cousin a couple times and I think it's adorable but we also haven't explained it so we're going to talk a little bit about that we are going to go into some of our like podcast segments um probably like definitely love letters um maybe future visions which we'll share like what that is a little later and then we have some shout outs for some community organizations and that's pretty much it um so but starting us off with the what are we part of this um particularly what is black queer feminist organizing um yeah crystal you have a quote here do you want to start with the quote yes okay, okay. i'll just start with the quote to to kind of frame it and i think this quote really resonated with me and most of lord's writing resonates with me um but quote by audrey lord related to black queer feminist organizing she says i am a black feminist i mean i recognize that my power as well as my primary oppressions come as a result of my blackness as well as my womanness and therefore my struggles on both of these fronts are inseparable. So poetic as it, as it be, um, I think that really summarizes, it, at least it creates a framework for understanding the interconnected nature of being black, being queer and being a feminist and why that's inseparable and why that is important as a distinct feature of its, in itself. But yeah, thank you. Um, I think to contribute to what you already offered in terms of like why we do the podcast um, from this like framing, uh, there's a couple of reasons. So a couple of years ago, I, I was working in campus diversity and inclusion, and it was the first time that like we talked about like who we center and like we were doing like racial justice and current events dialogues and in that space was the first time we talked about like who we center in those conversations and why and we read this article because it was also around the time it was shortly after the 2016 election and it was around the time of the first women's march and we read this article about um particularly uh trans black women and why it's necessary to like center them in our struggles um, for like liberation and social justice because of the way that like gender and race and like um, like the oppressions that kind of come with those identities create a totally new landscape when those things overlap and so um, that was like the very very beginning of me sort of hearing those words together and like understanding that it's 
okay to be intentional about like who is centered in our work and so when we say me i'm a black non-binary person um we are like with this being a black generally femme space um we want to just make sure that like we have a clear understanding of like who is at the center of like what we're creating content for and like who are we accountable to when we create these con this content and say these things and um talk about politics or current events or the future we want to ensure that like we have a clear understanding of like who is this for like who if this is meant to be a community space and this is meant to be a community project then like who gets to tell us when we're messing up yeah who gets to critique us when we misuse language or don't include the right amount of context context um and for me that's just really valuable because um we're learning in public i listen to this other podcast called all my relations and it's an indigenous feminism podcast and they named that like yeah when we're doing this um recording what we say as we learn things we are consenting to learn publicly um hey. and that's what i see the space is for us as well we're consenting to learn publicly and our teachers are black women throughout history um and our audience primarily um is black uh gender diverse people and folks who've experienced misogyny so that's my initial insight but like yeah do you want to share more about like what this quote means to you um and how it relates to our vision um so I, I think I shared a little bit about how it relates to Black queer feminist organizing. Um, I, I just want to mention, and I think you gave a, a great summary, so I don't want to kind of just repeat a lot of what you said, but I do want to mention, at least for me, a part of my organizing and a part of the, the way I understand even uh, my Black identity is, you know, there's an economic concern with being Black, right? Like, if in history and contemporarily speaking, you are denied um, access to spaces, if you're denied resources, and if you're denied capital on the premise that you are a Black person, then being Black comes with a, an entire economic feature. And I think that's that economic part is really important to understand the identity and how it relates to the rest. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying it's more important or less important. I'm just saying uh, that's the only thing I would add to the to the conversation. Nice. And yeah, like who, who was your inspiration slash like the teachers, organizers and folks that you like turn to when you're trying to like learn more about black queer feminist organizing? Right. Um, so tons of people who don't even realize that I, you know, look up to them or I'm taking their knowledge. I mean, it's just like me talking to people from my hometown or something which is Detroit City. Um, but some of the authors who are, I would say are in the mainstream, but I think just in my mainstream, because I don't know, but um, some of some really great authors, in case you want to check out some more information on Black queer feminist organizing, is Charlene Carruthers, um, the Kambahi River Collective, which is a collective of Black queer feminists, um, Kimberly Crenshaw and Alice Walker, and tons of other incredible, amazing Black queer feminist um, authors. But these are just a few that I feel like I've taken a lot from over the recent years. Sweet. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, if anybody who's like listening wants to drop like other authors, like folks who have inspired them, or do shout outs to folks in their community in the comments, feel free. Um, but for me, I like plus one to Charlene Carruthers. Uh, she is one of the founding directors of the Black Youth Project 100 organization. Um, and they organize from a Black queer feminist framework. Um, Kimberly Crenshaw, just for some background, like plus one, also mine. She was actually, I think, the very first person like in college that I learned about doing like intersectional analysis. Um, Arca, right? Yes. <laughs> um, Kimberly Crenshaw uh, coined like the word intersectionality, which is like one of the most recent uh, words for like describing what it what happens when like one person is holding multiple identities and she's a I think she's a law professor who like in the 90s um was trying to put more language together to talk about workplace um like sexual harassment and um through those conversations she coined intersectionality I'm trying to think of other other folks um Adrienne Marie Brown is coming to mind. She's an organizer out of Detroit who like wrote Emergent Strategies, um, which is a book a lot of folks in organizing circles like right now, because it just encourages, I guess like a more, I think like a more broad understanding of like how we arrange organizations. Um, I don't think she necessarily like calls herself a black feminist scholar per se, but um, when I was like writing and researching black feminist organizing, um, I used her book for the paper I wrote. Um, yeah. Who else? Some other people. Go yeah, on. there. Are some other people I'm thinking of who I don't know if they necessarily identify themselves in that way, but you know, give me the same vibe. Pat Parker, who's a okay. in, um, author, poet. Um, Again, uh, Lord uh, Sonia Sanchez, possibly um, Angela Davis. Yep. Um, yeah, like you said, the list does go on, but these are just some more names. Yeah, um, and like I think one of the reasons why, like, I wanted to pause for us to think about names is because I really what one thing I really like about like the black queer feminist framing is this emphasis it has this emphasis on like we're just contributing to work that is dope and has been going on forever um and i think that's a very um i'm like a staunch anti-capitalist you may have heard it on this show um but i think that's a very um a very liberatory sentiment because it um it i think we get into when we think about like um like the kind of competition that gets created when like you have a an economic system that is built on like everybody needs to be better than everybody else so that they can pull ahead of the pack and like be the most independent be the most cool make the most money by um being the most of something or the first of something and one thing that's things that's dope about black queerness i think in general the way that i've live but I try to live it and also like this ideology as a whole is that that's not 
necessary. Like for me, when I read all these things, the premise is that like we're strong because we're a community and because we're collaborating and sharing our knowledge. And so um, it's really grounding for me to remember that because it becomes like, I'm not one, I'm not one organizer trying to challenge all these problems or be the first or the best. I'm just trying to bring my best um, to my community, like as a way of offering to contribute to what we've got going. Um, And that just feels so it just feels a lot better for me right. as like a person trying to be a part of this. I'm so happy you mentioned and articulated that because same, like I find myself when I'm in, in misunderstood spaces. So when I'm in white spaces, mainly I find myself having to reiterate to people that like what I'm saying, what I believe is not anomalistic. Like I am rooted in a lineage of work by Black queer feminists, I mean, probably from the beginning of time. And what I contribute, what I bring to the space is also in addition to that lineage. Um, And so I think that is a very important, not only for the organizer to know, but also for, you know, other people, if you were to talk to an audience, because it, it just shows the you know, this is a progression, this is a struggle, this is a, a love um, that outlives any individual mm-hmm. um, that is really for our collective well-being and liberation. And, you know, if I'm not, if what I'm doing in my organizing work isn't benefiting the collective, then I'm not doing something right. Mm-hmm. And of yeah. course, you know, sometimes we fall short, but I think that's definitely one of the principles I try to hold true. Same. Yeah. Um, Yeah, another thing I want to contribute to this before we think about like wrapping up this section is we talk about archiving a lot too. Right. And that is also like the the Combahee River Collective, um, the conversation around them is like they're this, they were at their like beginning, they were this um, group of like black, lesbian, like women who were socialists and trying to like find a way to like be a part of the ooh yes can we say which louder <laughs> what like the Combahee River Collective thing um for the people in the were... back oh wait go ahead no I just said it louder for the people in the back oh well I I don't know <laughs> but I will definitely correct it once we get once we figure out exactly what and also try to speak up I don't know how the mic is picking me up but um the Kumbi River Collective was this organization of like women holding multiple identities at a time where like the black power movement was happening but they were experiencing misogyny and then the women's movement was happening I don't know which wave of feminism because I I I can't keep (laughs) um but uh, one of them and they were they were like okay we're experiencing racism and we were experiencing racism here we're experiencing sexism here and so they created like a space that was unique and necessary to meet their needs um <laughs> thank you for the people in the back um so they created the space that was necessary for them 
and they were also just very conscious. Like we were gonna read parts of the collective statement today, but maybe we'll do that for another space. Um, cause Chris, cause that was a dope idea on Krista's part, but I was worried that it would be, it would be yeah. wrong. Um, but they, they chose to create this space and then they were really, really on top of their archiving. Cause they're like, we are, we are women who, um, experience a lot of oppression and with that um especially thinking about like the 60s and the 70s when they were growing up and like doing their organizing we don't know how long this organization will last um we don't know how long we'll be able to operate like this and so we need to keep track and document everything yeah. um and so the story that i heard and i forget where is that they had this kombahee river collective statement which we can figure out a way to post or share links to and they posted it everywhere they printed it in everything that they published as an organization and they would have like retreats um i think i read it i mean, I think i read this um in a book called how we get free by kianga yamada taylor um we like book clubbed it in my organization um but they printed it in everything they could yes i actually owe crystal a copy of that book <laughs> um or a copy of a different book um funny story no, I'm <laughs> um, but they're like we need to keep everything and we need to put this everywhere because we don't know where people will see it but people in the future need to see it um, and so 30 years later we have access to the statement and thankfully access to them as like people Barbara Ransby Barbara Smith um, Demita Frazier I know I'm missing a couple folks um, but yeah there's Thayer probably still organizing, definitely still writing and teaching. Um, so you should look them up if you're interested. But um, yeah, we they because they saved what they had and like understood its value as they were doing it, we have access to like more information about what they did, the choices they made and how they made them. Right. Um, and so one of my hopes with WOCO is that um, to recognize that like we don't know what in like, the history books of like 2140 is going to think was important about how we won liberation for like everybody across the world. And since we don't know, we should save as much as we can <laughs> and be as thoughtful about um, what we're doing as we can so that people can learn from our mistakes and people can credit our victories and continue this process of contributing um to social movements yes yeah but that's it that was i didn't mean to start us to start off on such a like academic <laughs> i mean it's important and what we think is inherently scholarly um well i think that's really cool and i appreciate that um Another way, for the sake of time, though, I'll try to be really concise, but another way that I try to conceptualize um, what it means to be a Black woman is looking at history when train cars became a popular form of, like, travel. There was a dilemma presented to Black women because Black women were ruled too masculine and sexual riding the train cars with white women, right? They couldn't perform that amount of feminine, femininity. Um, they were seen as a threat. Whereas 
black women also couldn't ride in a train car with the men because they were deemed a threat for another reason um, and, you know, would be endangered. So then it's like, where do you put this genderless, you know, person or people um, in the system? Where do they fit, right? Like, mm -hmm. on one hand, you don't benefit from white femininity at all. And it's, you know, it's hard to perform it in that way. And then on another hand, you are not categorized with men because, you know, you're hypersexualized, wherever the case may be. And so I just think that's really an interesting way to conceptualize it and thinking about how it relates to us today, where it's like, you know, we don't get the same civil outcry unrest when our women die in the streets. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't get the same press coverage. We don't get the same sympathy. We don't get the same understanding. Um, when we give childbirth, we have a higher mortality rate because, you know, doctors in the medical profession still believe that we experience we have a higher pain threshold. I mean, it's so many, in so many ways, um, what it is to be a black woman has have, has been self-defined and created by, you know, the black queer feminists ahead of us. And I think that is, I mean, not ahead of us, you know, before us. And I think that is really important. And, and I feel really grateful to be a part of this process of self-definition and creation. Yes, self-definition. Turn up. I like it. Um, cool. Do you want to start off our next bullet point? Yeah. So um, part of the way we introduce ourselves on the podcast is we're not like movement aunties, right? Like we're not at that level of seniority. We're not in that category just yet right we're, we're just not we're more like movement cousins you know like we've been in these spaces for a while we can give you knowledge but we also have you know development and um yeah you can continue to describe because i feel like you've coined this word um i like it because I don't know, for me, like, the cousin in your family could be, it doesn't even have to be, like, somebody you're directly related to, um, but there's still trust, there's still, like, right. opportunities to, like, spend time together and build together and, like, learn without the same sort of, uh, like, top-down knowledge that'll come from maybe, like, your aunties, um, I like the term movement cousin because also just like I don't want to I don't want to play and pretend I know all the things um but I am excited to offer the things that I do know and the stuff that I have practiced um so yeah that's what a movement cousin is um and it'd be part of our intros because I think it's cute <laughs> I think it's cute too and I think it is a really fun way to describe something kind of complex like the horizontal sh like powered Epic. Um, so yeah. Uh, so normally when we do our podcast, we would be at this segment of love letters. Um, and this part of the segment, Sarai and I give give praise to different media forms or people or ideas or things that are bringing us love and libation um, currently. 
Do you want to go first? <laughs> Ooh, um, I've been trying to think of my love letter all morning. <laughs> I um, know. So maybe some more will come to me. But my very first one that I've been talking about on the podcast for a little while is I've been in this series of classes um, that are hosted by this organization called Woke Foods. Um, out of New York, I think one of my friends like shared the flyer for what was what they titled Earth Lab, um, which is how I found out about it. But Earth Lab is a was an eight week series of classes um, where we talked about things like seeding and growing food, composting, um, zero waste living, plant based nutrition, um, food justice, and like the history of food sovereignty and stuff. And um, I've been a part of that co. The first, I guess I think this is their first cohort um, since I think like early August, and we had our last session this week. Oh, um, yeah, so it's like I feel like I learned a lot and like learned how much more stuff I want to learn. Um, but it was also just this really dope um, like Black Native and POC space. Um, where we learned like really dope topics that have felt important to me for like more so over the course of like the last like I think six months or so a couple months ago on the podcast we had this segment that hopefully will come back eventually called R&R and so we were going to try to like research something and then bring back information about it on the podcast and like black farming was my R&R um and so it was really dope to be able to kind of think about Black farming, Black land stewardship um, throughout this Earth Lab um, and also meet such incredible people and be able to support like such a dope organization. So um, my love letter goes out to the folks at Woke Foods um, as well as like, my facilitators from Earth Lab. Um, I'm excited to keep learning with y'all and them um, and like sharing what I've learned in this space. So that's my love letter. Nice. I wish I had something as nice to share. <laughs> Bless <Sorry>. you. <laughs> um, my love letter is to the eternal fly. You know which one I'm talking about? <laughs> this fly at every um, election. And recently it was covering on Mike Pence's head and I just feel like that was an antidote to some of the really horrible things going on at the national level it was like but here you can have this and it will be funny and you can and it will give you a break and so I appreciated that but um anyway oh no you're breaking up a little oh, bit no. Am I steady now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Another thing that I actually want to give my love letters to is um, I have been taking Spanish classes for three years because of a university requirement and because I want to learn them. Um, unfortunately, I don't really like the format that my university teaches. Um, but nonetheless, I have been taking these Spanish classes. Over the summer, however, um, 
I got the opportunity to work with or really learn from um, some Zapatistas. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, about it. <laughs> oh, the green oh. kind of. Okay. I got you. Okay. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> I was like, I think you organized it. But um, part of the, the way we learned was every week or whatever, we had this uh, film that was entirely in Spanish that we had to watch and interpret and, you know, try to bring to the next conversation. And I have been doing so well in my Spanish classes. And I really think that, like, four-week, you know, program accelerated my Spanish language ability because I was talking and communing or watching Span native Spanish speakers, which is so much more valuable to me than, um, I guess, institutionally trained um, Spanish professors. So, Yes, get into it. I'm so happy for you. I'm happy for me too. It's like a long time coming. Like I'm not good at language learning. Or I haven't been, but. I have also been plus one to the Spanish language journey because I've been on my on one too. And um, also shout out. So like I take classes from uh, this co-op in Oaxaca called, it's like LaGuardia Language School. And so shout out to my teacher, um, Miguel, because I've been raggedy with my Spanish practicing for <laughs> months. Like <laughs> I was doing so good for a while. And then like, um, I had this thing where I was supposed to conjugate verbs every single day and we were checking them in class. So I would conjugate my verbs, you know, a percentage of them. Cause I still wasn't doing them every day. So he was like yeah. three verbs a day. And I was like, got it. And then I would do maybe six for the week. <laughs> um, and then he stopped checking them in class. So now it's down to zero for the week. Oh my God. Um, but I think I'm improving. Thanks. Like, despite, you know, <laughs> despite me barely doing my homework, um, and blessings to my teacher who's like going over verb tenses with me probably for the third time. Um, cause yo, those verbs. I get that. Like, I'm not good at English grammar, so I'm not, I'm not going to be good at Spanish grammar. That's just that on that. Um, as <laughs> people understand me <laughs> yeah see that's what's important yeah. um I think I'm moving into the like that wasn't right but I got you part right. of my language journey and I accept that because that's better from when I could speak nothing <laughs> yeah literally maybe one day we'll have to do a special segment where we habla solamente en espanol hey yes I've been learning a little bit about like I was working with the language uh like group for a while and the thing was for us to pick things that we'd like to talk about and so black feminist organizing was my thing and I had had this goal to be able to like just like talk about the Combahee River Collective in Spanish um by the time we were done with our group didn't quite reach it but I think this would be the perfect place to try that out <laughs> and get me to actually practice. Yes, I don't have a big vocabulary. My language ability is limited to me and everything I do. I don't know how far I would be able to take it, but I would. it would be nice. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, 
Oh. Our love okay. letters are a rep rep. I think so. Okay. Oh. Uh, do you want to introduce the next section? Are we doing the next section? Or? So I can like introduce it so that folks know. Mm -hmm. Um. So essentially in our podcast, we also do a segment called Call Em Out. And so it's like a little bit of the opposite of love letters. On Tea with Queen and Jay, I think they call this part of the podcast The Pit, like who they throw in the pit. Um, on the read, this is the read <laughs> um, section of their podcast. Um, for us, it's a call them out, and usually it's related to social justice things that are like causing us frustration or trying to steal our black joy. Um, but I don't know, Crystal, do you have one? Otherwise, we can keep rolling <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot i feel like everything right now is a call them out yeah um, <laughs> one of the things that i think i'm really vexed about right now just because of where i work is um the unemployment insurance agency needs to get it together um mm -hmm. I, that looks like i think it looks like hiring and training more people um, but so many people right now are, you know, facing serious material insecurity. And it's a shame that we can't rely on the state to fulfill our very basic needs. Um, and so, yeah, I hope the UIA gets it together. Mm -hmm. I hope that um, people get their money and people can, you know, live a dignified life and have access to food, shelter, housing, clothing. Um yeah so that was like very oddly specific but i'm just upset about i mean i think it's hyper specific but also it's super general as far as just why can't we eat why can't we have shelter why can't we live in a in a country where we don't have to face um very dire and serious uh, material insecurity and it's a public health crisis and so many people a year die from poverty. And um, it's it's upsetting. And it's also, and it's a part of the reason why it's upsetting too is like, I wanna say America has done so much to disadvantage and oppress different nations globally so that we can have some type of citizenship premium. And so the fact that, you know, we've, we've done terrible things in the name of liberty, freedom and security, and we still don't have any of it. Mm -hmm. and so um that's just really frustrating for me now and always um do you have anything for yeah that sounds raggedy as hell i'm sorry <laughs> um it's so raggedy. yo yeah um and that was like that was a good point that you made like it's it's already messed up that u.s operates the way that it does globally and internally but to like have the audacity to do all this shit right in the name of like yeah like you said like security and stability and still have raggedy shit be happening with the internal right. systems um the nerve uh so i need to like figure out how to get more centered more frequently because like the recently i'll like be in the shower like trying to like make my mind calm down 
but usually because there's like no outside stimulation that's the part where like I'd be up on my soapbox and in my head like having a whole lecture about how messed up something in particular is and so this I think like last night I was just trying to mind my business and go to bed but part of me was just going off about like water access where it's just like the water was put here for free <laughs> it and was. so for people to have to pay for it or for the city or this or like companies to like take ownership of it and still not maintain its quality and sell it back was just messing with me last night and it's just like like nationalize the resources <laughs> like I as a resource merch like, alert merch alert nationalize the resources and by that I mean like public ownership of things like water also I think things like um like the internet anything that people need and use collectively like you you need housing you need um yes I don't want to put your government name out there ajs.an <laughs> I just had com that combo with myself plus one um where it's just like we should just own it and have it um and nobody should be having to pay for it no city's water quality should be worse than anybody else's um there are some industries um just because like it's this, it's this whole kind of type of thing is possible um it varies in like because you know like states can be raggedy um state ownership of things always like throughout history needs some work but like um in brazil they had if they don't currently have had like nationalized like gas um through this company called petrobras and the problem was that like not that it wasn't possible for folks to nationalize you know this resource because companies were still allowed to compete and because of that the like state-run companies were always not as good so like we just need all of it collective control of all of it um and that was like i was thinking about flint i was and like the water crisis in detroit and like the water shutoffs and the audacity of like the state which is funded by tax dollars to allow for probably states probably benefiting from private ownership of things like water anyway but like it's just it's raggedy it's raggedy that um folks have to pay for water um anywhere in the world um yeah. plus ones that comment for sure mm -hmm. i think we have to have a, we need a whole episode on detroit's water crisis um and then you know as you see it's connected to philly it's connected to flint it's connected to any major black city any major impoverished area with black and brown people um and then, you know, like the comment said, plus one of that, um, we create this this premise upon what the standard is. So to have a habitable house, right? You have to have electricity, you have to have water, you have to have so on and so forth set by the state. And then you pay for it or you don't. And so then we deny you um, those resources. And based upon the premise that the state sets, we then can use that against you. For example, if you live in a house without running water, your child can be taken away. And so it's just super, like, complexly messed up. And um, 
and even thinking about what happened in Detroit, and I'm not going to go too far into it, but how so many of the inner city residents were, their water bills were $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 a month because the city rolled over the water bill from corporations onto the residents. And oh, I did not know that part. To subsidize the suburban counterparts. Damn. So for lived in Farmington Hills, right? Your your water bill, if you're on Detroit water plan, your water bill wouldn't necessarily increase because they would just continue to add the debt to the Detroit residents. So you create these impossible circumstances under capitalism. And it's just we could we need a whole segment. We need a whole episode. We need a whole season. <laughs> um, but yeah. Mm. Also, yeah, it's really interesting to me that we're talking about water. Because like Indigenous Peoples Day is coming up on <laughs> Monday. And um I when I was in school, I just the whole like everything between like October first and Thanksgiving was just a blur. So like, I couldn't keep up on which day was like indigenous, um, like which, which was originally like, blah, which days were like days. But like now that I'm not in school, I have a little bit more of my bearings. And so um, I know that indigenous people just stay is now. And like, I see, or like water access, water rights, like nurturing and being right relationship with um, natural resources. Um, like water, I think is a very clear example of like struggles that are um, like rooted in like sovereignty um, with land and um, indigeneity. Um, so yeah, happy almost Indigenous Peoples Day um, and nationalize the damn water. Nationalize, give it to the Indigenous community to govern. Think about just, you know, America itself is a couple hundred years old. Mm -hmm. And already <laughs> we've completely uh, diminished and destroyed our natural resources. Whereas indigenous people have been inhibiting the Americas for thousands upon thousands of years. And it's been in great, you know, abundant quality. And yet we know better. It's just really hypocritical. Mm -hmm. yeah also thinking about like african indigeneity and like the continent of africa like to have lakes be drying up that existed for thousands of years mm -hmm. raggedy shit raggedy governance right um, privileges <laughs> capitalist governments um you don't get to you don't get to hold this power anymore yeah okay i feel like i need to take a deep breath <laughs> Same. I feel like I'm just kind of like snapping. <laughs> yeah. Um, not the original intention of this live stream, <laughs> but a clear assessment of what po like Woco episodes are like. So for folks who were into that, <laughs> right. um, we oh. do this segment uh, pretty regularly on the show, on the recorded show. So should we move on to movement updates or future? Um. I'm still down for us to share what it is. I think we have like about 10 minutes still left in this before we get booted. Um, and I want to make sure we can close intentionally. But for folks who are new to the Wilco space, 
Um, our next segment is typically what we call movement updates. And so this is the more heavy like archive portion of the show where we're talking about um, like what's going on in like social justice spaces or like trying to like look at different current events from a social justice, particularly black queer feminist lens. Um, and so it is, it's one of my favorite, sometimes one of like the more heavy. Um, okay, I'm back. Um, parts of the show for me but um, it is the part where we get to archive what's going on and like bless up because I was listening to some of our episodes from like early quarantine and I forgot half that shit happened I was like <laughs> it's been such just a long series of months that I honestly am really grateful that we did that um, yeah um, but I don't know do you want to share something for movement updates I don't really have much to share. Okay. I think we need to help what's yeah. happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, okay. So the next part um, of the podcast that we go into after movement updates is the future visions part, which is my one of my favorite parts because I think I can lack um, the the ability and creativity to think myself and ourselves out of um, status quo and out of being under. Um, so on the future visions part, we share our liberatory visions of of what things could look like and could feel like and how we could get there. Um, so yeah, mm. yeah. And usually we try to do that related to, in a way that's related to either our movement updates or our column out. Yeah. Um, visioning is a part of like um, organizing as I've practiced it over the last couple of years. It's like a, it's like a, a tactic, a tactic slash activity that we use to um, remind us what we're fighting for. Sometimes like you can get into the middle of like, you know, fighting for a certain cause or like on working on a certain campaign and you can get a little lost in the sauce of like with the day-to-day -day efforts of like what your your actual goal is. And so visioning is a way to sort of like recenter and goal set and think about like, we're not just like the fact that you're not, we're not just here, you know, to be anti of a certain thing. We're here to be in full affirmation and commitment to a different future. Um, and so like for like water, for instance, um, the question of visioning would be like, what does it look like to live in a world where like we have um, like indigenous led collective stewardship of the water? Um, and I think that looks like no one ever having to pay for it. No more water bills. Right. Um, I think it looks like, yes, abolish water bills. Um, I think it looks like, um, like lots of public, like water drinking spaces. Like a lot of times it's only, it's really, you don't really have fountains and stuff like outside. And so it's like, it's always in like buildings that you have to like, kind of be a part of the community to be a part of. So like there's water fountains, like in most buildings and schools, but like, if you are not a part of that community of being in school, then you might not feel comfortable accessing that water. Um, 
So I think if nobody ever has to pay for it, then I think there should be like really clean um, and accessible places where you can just get it publicly. Um, I think it means like in Michigan, you've got like the Flint Rotter crisis. You've also got like crises of like PFAS being in the water. I don't even know what PFAS is. I just, right. <laughs> I'm assuming. Um, and so it means like, I think it means a collective like reckoning from the state about like what's really in our water, mm-hmm. who should be held accountable for toxins being in the water and like, how do we remove them mm-hmm. um, in a way that's sustainable? Um, yeah. It looks like every area having like good access to it. Like I'm, I feel like sometimes rural areas, at least this is, I feel like this is true with like Wi-Fi. Sometimes rural areas don't have like the same sort of like piping systems and stuff. And so like, I think every area should have easy access. Yeah. Um, easy access to like clean, um, clean, again, universally stewarded, so free uh, water, but yeah that's a little bit of a taste of a future vision crystal do you have anything you want to add i was just thinking about the the another merch slogan abolish water bills bills. and then on the back uh, indigenous stewardship over water (laughs) now okay um yeah so do you want to move into the shout out portion yes okay so i'm about to drop a i'm about to try to drop a photo into the chat oh wait no it's okay this is equally okay i don't know how to reposition it but um this is part of a flyer for um a fundraiser that crystal and i will actually be emceeing next week um i will just post it on the wilco page but um not next week october 22nd at 6 30 p.m <laughs> Um, I'll have to confirm if that is Central or Eastern time, but we will be using our podcast skills to emcee a fundraiser for this organization called Interactive Interaction Initiatives. Um, Interaction is an organization I've been working with for the past year as a part of their Black and Asian Solidarity Working Group, um, which was a which was like a, a talking space talking and like learning space amongst like black and Asian and Asian American folks in the Midwest area where we have been just been talking about like the histories of black and Asian solidarity and like where solidarity work is happening in our communities and like like assessing it like are there areas where it's not really happening like why is that and stuff like that um it's been a really dope experience of working with this organization for the very first time and um they are raising money for their org which overall is about like uses like things like personal narratives and counter narratives to like build community and also essentially archive um experiences so i'm really excited that we'll be able to join them in that space and i invite all of y'all who are listening watching to come through um registration is on their website um and so we can post those resources as well yes um another shout out um is to you all (laughs) woco pod has finally reached 500 plays um 
which means a lot for Sarai and I. This started and will continue as a passion project, a project of love, and uh, a project to archive what we're experiencing to add to that lineage. Um, and so we are just grateful that you all listen and enjoy us, I, I suppose. <laughs> um, the WOCO website will be launching soon. That's another big, cool, interesting thing. Uh, on the website, you'll be able to learn a little bit more about us, um, play the episodes, see our archived episodes, um, donate to us if you, if your pockets are feeling like it, um, and stay connected with us. So that should be another exciting thing. Yes. Also, shout out <laughs> to Crystal for putting that website together. Um, also editing our most recent soon-to-be-dropping episode um we'll drop yeah, i really this. appreciate you hey okay turn up do you want to give <laughs> them like a, a little bit of insight into what's going to be on that episode yeah so a little bit later today i will drop the q a episode Sarai and i created what we realized is a lot of our episodes um were heavy rightfully so but it was taking a lot of labor and processing power um and so we wanted to bring you all an episode where you can learn more less serious things about us and um kind of connect with us in a more like friend vibe so that will be coming out later if you want to learn more about sarai and i um yeah sweet so yeah if you enjoyed our meet the hosts and want to hear us ask cute questions to each other come through to our next episode and yeah. honestly that was incredible timing because we have two minutes left <laughs> that's something we we don't do often being on time yes <laughs> or finishing, finishing on time. there we go but yeah okay um okay. any last thoughts for the people crystal um i love y'all most of y'all um and <laughs> thank you for talking today yeah, thank you. Thank you, folks, for tuning in to our very first live stream slash live episode. Um, thank you for the congratulations. I really appreciate y'all. And yeah, I will see y'all, hear from y'all next time. Yep. Bye. Bye. Yay! That was the first Woco Radio episode. I hope you enjoyed our intro to Black Queer Feminist Organizing. We wanted to pop back in to highlight that we actually ended up changing the sequence of the episodes since the stream. So our Q&A ended up being episode 12. So if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. In the meantime, that's all for now. Peace, y'all.